if you would, turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Look with me, beginning in verse 13. We'll be reading all the way down to verse 27. Jesus is wrapping up his sermon, and he begins with, Enter by the narrow gate. The gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it, enter by it are many for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves you will recognize them by their fruits are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles so every healthy tree bears good fruit but the diseased tree bears bad fruit A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall. Of it. Lord, we, we are moved by these words. We are troubled by these words. We are challenged by these words. And we ask today that you would give us hope from these words, that our lives might be lives that bring honor and glory to you. Speak to our church today, we ask. Shepherd our church through your word, by your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we are grateful you are here. You are invited to speak to us and help us to hear in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're now at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and like any good sermon, it ends with application as Jesus asks a very penetrating question. Now that you have heard my sermon, which way will you choose? Which way? For there are only two ways, and there are only two outcomes to your life. 
And these four illustrations describe the two ways and describe the two outcomes. Each illustration asks, are you, are you truly a believer and a follower of Christ or not? With, and it's, it's, with, it's with stunning and staggering and troubling contrasts that Jesus brings a sober clarity and a searching reality to those who are listening. And he is, he is telling them, whatever way you choose will determine the outcome of your eternal life. In these four illustrations, the first illustration is a contrast between the saved and the lost. The second concerns outsiders false prophets, false teachers, outsiders who pretend to be insiders. And the third looks at those who think they are insiders, but are not. And then the last draws a line between those who hear his word and do it, and those who hear it and do not. The outcome is clear, destruction or life. Jesus is either our savior or he's our judge. We are either in the kingdom or we are not. We're either saved, we are lost, we are destined for heaven, or we are destined for hell. That is what Jesus is communicating in these illustrations. And as you have read, as we have read through the Sermon on the Mount, we see that Jesus does not give this list of easy ethical rules, but values and ideals which are different from the world, that we're to be different from the world. We're to be salt and we're to be light. And our righteousness is to be deeper because it reaches the heart. And our love is to be broader because it embraces even our enemies. And the treasure we choose will either endure in eternity or will disintegrate on earth. Either God is our master or money is our master, but it can't be both. That's the choices that Jesus is putting before his disciples and all the onlookers, all his listeners on the Sermon on the Mount. The close of his sermon encompasses everybody who is listening, whether it is the disciples or skeptics or the curious or the scribes and Pharisees, the religious. And his application calls all of them to soberly examine, soberly examine which way they have chosen or will choose and consider the outcome that they are facing. And it's the same question that these words are for us today as well. Not just for these ancient listeners sitting at the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus is speaking. These words are for us today. Which way will you choose? Or which way have you chosen? And are you confident? Are you truly a follower of Christ or are you not? D.A. Carson in his commentary says this, Nothing could be more dangerous than to meditate long and hard on Matthew 5, 1 through 7, 12, the Sermon on the Mount, and then resolve to simply improve ourselves. We're going to get better at these things. The discipleship which Jesus requires is absolute and radical. A person either enters the kingdom or he does not. He walks the road that leads to life or he walks the road that leads to the destruction There is no third alternative. Nothing, nothing at all could be more crucial than following Jesus. And so we have four main points this morning. Which gate, which tree, 
which person and which builder. Which way we choose determines if Jesus is our Savior or our judge. There are two outcomes, and there are these four questions. And the first one is, which gate will you take? It is here in Matthew, Matthew seven thirteen and 14 that Jesus makes it clear that there are only two choices, the wide gate or the narrow gate. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. What a sobering comment. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. The first choice is to go through the wide gate that leads to the easy path. The entrance to that wide gate has a very appealing promise written above it. Heaven on earth. But that's not where it really leads. And yet it is so appealing that many, many choose that gate and that easy way. It is the way that says, this is my life and I can decide what is best for me. It is the way where all my friends are are with me, supporting me in the choices that I make. It is the way that demands nothing of me. It is the way that is so easy. What fool wouldn't go this way? But Jesus says, it is the way that leads to destruction. And there's another gate. And that gate is narrow. And its way is not easy, but hard. But it is the entrance into the kingdom of God. And many will not go this way, but only a few. And the way is hard because it is the way that battles sin. It battles the flesh. It battles the devil. It's the way that is hard because it is willing to suffer persecution for the sake of Christ. And it is the way that is hard because it costs us everything. The narrow way, brothers and sisters, wins few popularity contests. But it is the way that leads to life. And don't be mistaken, these two verses are not just for unbelievers. He is primarily speaking to unbelievers, but he's talking to his disciples. He is speaking to the onlooking crowd, the the scribes and the Pharisees, the skeptics and the curious, those who are seekers. And he wants them all. He wants us all today to determine which way have we gone? Which way will we go? Will, Will you follow me? Are you following me? Or are you, like many, taking the easy road? You know, in John 6, Jesus tells his disciples that he is the bread of life and that they must eat his flesh and and drink his blood if they want eternal life. In other words, they must be willing to go the hard way and follow him and suffer for him and even die for him. And then in 660, Jesus is, is... telling them, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And John writes, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, Jesus says, but there are some of you who do not believe. And after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Which which way? Just because you think you're a disciple, Jesus says in, in John 6, hey, hey, here's the hard way. Which, which gate have you gone through? And so 
what Jesus is saying from this first illustration, which gate, he's simply asking you to take the exam. Take the exam. Which gate? Which path? All have to decide, including the crowd of seekers, the curious, the skeptics, and the religious. Here is the gospel. Am I going to be your savior or am I going to be your judge? You choose. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to the next illustration. Verse 15, beware of the false prophets. And here he's asking, which, which tree, which tree, which, which teacher will you listen to? Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And you will recognize them by their fruit. Jesus warns his followers that they are to beware of false prophets because false prophets have already existed in their midst. There are already false teachers. And in chapter 5, if you remember, Jesus began to undo the teaching of the false prophets, of the false teachers. He, he began with, you have heard, but I say to you. They, they misused and they abused God's word. And they added tradition to God's word. And they, they perverted God's word. And Jesus says, this is what they've told you, but I say to you. And he corrects what they have said. And if you remember later on, he calls these teachers, these scribes and Pharisees, blind guides, false, false teachers who lull their listeners to be comfortable with their sin. They compromise the truth of God's word for cultural affirmation. They misuse and abuse God's word for their own gain. And they lead many to follow their teaching. And they take the wide gate and the easy way that leads to death. And these aren't just false teachers in ancient times. They are with us today. These teachers who pervert the gospel, they, they tell their listeners even today, they write books even today, there is no impending judgment, they say, because God is love. And how could a God of love send anyone to hell? Your alternative lifestyle, that's okay. God created you that way. You want to divorce your spouse? That's okay. You deserve to be happy. And, and that's all that God wants for you is to be happy. And wide is the gate, and easy is the way that leads to destruction. Even today, these false teachers masquerade as pastors, online teachers, authors of popular books, all leading down a road to hell. Second Timothy 4.3, Paul writes, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And like those in Romans 1 that Paul talks about, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They worship themselves. And that's what false teachers do. They teach you to worship yourself. And Jesus is taking issue with them. 
Now, listen, Devin and I do not claim to be perfect expositors of God's word, but we are able expositors. And we promise we will not we will not ever reinterpret God's word to fit the ever changing cultural climate. We will never conform to society's standards, but only to God's perfect, infallible, inerrant, authoritative, all sufficient, unchanging Word. That is our promise to you as your pastors. It doesn't matter what the culture and false teachers say about marriage. It was instituted by God between one man and one woman, and he created them male and female. God has no trouble with gender identity. So beware of these false teachers, Jesus says. And they are all around us today. And you will know them by their fruit. They are bad trees, Jesus says. And he says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And there is, again, this choice. Which way will you go? The way of heaven or the way of hell, this fire, this destruction? And then Jesus asks, a third question with a third illustration. Which person are you? 721, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And here is these, these are just shocking words. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare, I will declare to them, these many, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. These are shocking words of judgment. They are shocking now. They make us look at ourselves and say, wait a minute. Is that me? Am I Lord? Lord, does does Jesus know me? And here we see the tragedy in this warning of self-deception. Here we see the reality of a life that, like that of the false prophets, that of the false teachers, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. These people wear sheep's clothing, but are not sheep. And they've, they've been in churches. They've been in our church. They've been in every church. But they do not belong to God. They look spiritual. They act spiritual. They even do spiritual things. But they have never entered the narrow gate. They have the right words and and even amazing testimonies, amazing claims, but they do not have Christ and he does not have them. Jesus, now Jesus is not saying it is bad, it's a bad thing to say to him, Lord, Lord, because the moment you say it, oh, you're done. You're, no, no, that is not what he's saying, but it's not all there is to our walk with Christ, our relationship with God. He has just made the point that a a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. And he's now saying it's not just about the words you say, but about the life that you live. What you do, how you live, what is right and what is wrong. Their, Their claims mean nothing to Jesus because their lives inwardly do not back it up. There's no wind at Halley Wells. It is the Father's will, brothers and sisters, that matters. It is doing the Father's will that 
matters. This is not about salvation by works, and the contrast is not between merit and grace, but obedience from the heart because you have genuinely walked through the narrow gate. And the key comment here in this verse is workers of lawlessness. Jesus has seen their their behavior on the outside, but he knows what's going on inside their hearts. And he knows all along that what was happening on the outside, they had a secret hidden life and they were workers of lawlessness. And he is telling them that On that day, the day of judgment, when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, he will say, you are a worker of lawlessness. Depart from me. I never knew you. The all-knowing God, I never knew you as one of my children. And that is shocking. They re, they, these are people who rely on their spirituality and not Christ. And unlike the two gates in 13 and 14, this parable, it doesn't draw a line between outsiders and insiders, but it, it has all the crowd. It has everybody listening. And even the disciples, he is telling them, if you fail, if you fail to walk through that narrow gate, as we saw in John 6, many left him. You will hear, I never knew you. And then the fourth illustration, he closes with, which builder will you be? Here's the difference between those who hear God's word and do it and those who hear it and do not. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. All that he has said comes down to this. Which builder are you? Which builder are you? The focus here actually is not on the foundation. Not on the foundation of rock or sand, but upon the builder. It's the builder who determines how he builds. The man who builds his house on the sand is the person who hears Jesus' words. But those words are not put into practice in his life. He's the Lord, Lord. The man who builds his house on the rock is the person who hears the word and he does put them into practice. The difference between the two houses is simply the difference between obedience and disobedience. D.A. Carson said this, he said, It is true that men are saved by God's grace through faith in Christ alone, but it is equally true that God's grace in a man's life inevitably results in obedience. All these illustrations, as troubling as they can be, as challenging as they can be for our own hearts, all of these illustrations provide a clear presentation of the gospel. Two ways, two outcomes, yes. Which will you choose? You must examine yourself, your faith, your obedience, his lordship in your life. And asking yourself, which path am I truly on? But lest we get depressed, we must never lose sight of Christ and his promises to us. We can't live this sermon 
without grace. And it's grace that we've been given, brothers and sisters. Matthew begins his gospel by telling us that Jesus came to save us and lead us through the narrow gate. John 10, 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and find pasture. Jesus is the gate. He's the doorway. And he is with us on this hard path to life. But we must enter because this is an imperative in verse 13. Enter. It's an imperative. It's command. And we have to examine ourselves. But we, we should be assured. If you have come to him in faith, if you have trusted him and in faith are following him, you should be assured. And there are so many other passages throughout the, the New Testament that give us assurance of our, our relationship with Christ. John's first letter, his epistle, is one of great assurance by the way he reminds us of who Christ is and the confidence that we can have in him. In 1 John 2, 3, he says, By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Verse 5 in chapter 2, by this we know we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. In 3.16, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us. And 3.18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but indeed in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. And finally, John 4.13, 1 John 4.13, by this we know we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. There, there, this verse, these verses in, in Matthew 7, they should not discourage us. They should not cause fear in us if we are truly in his kingdom. Now, this is a... This is a sober ending of his sermon, for sure. And for those who do not know him, it is a frightening ending. But it is one of great comfort to those who do know him and who see the gospel in this passage. And look, look for Christ in this passage. Look, look what you see. He is the narrow gate. He is the way. He is the life. He is our saving grace because he hung on a tree and bore fruit for our salvation. He is our saving grace. And when we say, Lord, Lord, he knows us. He is the rock in which our lives are built. He is the word made flesh, the word that feeds us, the word that sustains us, the word that will never fail us in the storm. We have built upon that word. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will have built his house on a rock. It is these words that are the rock of our lives. Because this is where we come to know Christ. A wonderful sermon, a challenging ending, but a faith-filled hope because Christ is the way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that shows us the way to life. Thank you for your word that helps us to live the life you have called us to, to remain on the narrow way that is hard, but you are with us. Oh, may we leave here today more aware of your grace in our lives than we are of the struggles that we have, that we might live for your glory in Jesus' name.